Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Today's guest uh, is different experience. She is a Business Day columnist, the editor at large for Business Day, and has worked as senior advisor at Brunswick and was once national spokesperson for ESCOM, which I imagine she's pleased not to be anymore. And so I'd like to welcome experienced senior journalist Hilary Joffe. Hilary, how are you? Good, thank you. And good morning, Sarah, and to your listeners. Thank, thank you. you for having me on the show. Today, we, I'm going to deal with what caught my eye in a column you wrote last week, and that is how does one talk to government? And there is very much a debate because you've seen an increased stridency in uh, amongst business in the utterances they make publicly. It raises the question is, does the stridency work or does one need to adopt a more nuanced approach to it? Hilary, what are the options? It's a debate which has a really long history in business and business organizations have been through phases of being quite quiet and trying to work behind the scenes and then other phases of being very loud and sometimes at very important times who could forget the very loud voices of business in the final two years of the Jacob Zuma presidency and I think that did really help together with lots of other voices and protests to 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 avert a crisis. I think what we have now is we do have um, chief execs realizing much more that their license to operate is about not just pleasing their shareholders, but pleasing, not pleasing, but addressing the concerns of society at large, stakeholders as they are fondly called, that business needs, is talking to everyone and needs everyone in order to have this license to operate. So we are getting in South Africa and Business Day is often given them a platform, mm-hmm. business leaders who use their financial results presentations to speak out about the need for structural reform to grow the economy, the need for government to address issues in their sectors, be it health or mining. And I think that is really important because they are also sometimes bringing quite important experiences and evidence from their operations in other countries to inform policy here. And yes, it is, the tone is sometimes very strident and very, things are horrible mess and sometimes less strident but also quite forthright and the column that I wrote on Friday contrasts if you like two different styles two very different styles um, in the mining industry the one is Neil Fromman the chief executive of Sibanistal Water which is a gold mining and platinum mining company the other is uh, the recently outgone chief executive of Anglo-American Corporation, Mark Putifani, who's adopted a very different style. Neil at Sibane has been absolutely out there. He has said South Africa is a failed state. Uh, the country is an absolute mess. The industry and the country, we, we, can, we are dealing with incredibly low growth, high inequality, high poverty levels. The industry is... is having to deal with crumbling infrastructure, totally dysfunctional municipalities, et cetera, et cetera. And if you ask him, you know, what he means by a failed state, you'd better kind of give an hour to to listen to him. And he's been very, very forthright about it. And he has this very past week attracted the ire of the Mineral and Energy Minister, Gwede Matash, who's, without naming him, talked about people who insult the state, business leaders who insult the state. 
just what's interesting about that is sort of discussion we had before going on air is that you made the comment, I think it's important, that big business, suffering big business is given the crisis that we're in and the problems that they have to face um, is amazingly patriotic. I guess in a way you have to be patriotic to work through some of these crisis areas and make up for perhaps what government is not doing. That's a really important point. And let me kind of just quickly contrast the Mark Cotifani view. Mm. Mark has also been pretty forthright in saying what government needs to do and what it needs to change and what we need to do to grow the economy. But he has also anonymously upbraided Neil Froneman, if you like, for Mm -hmm. being quite irresponsible and unconstructive in the way that people like him speak to government. And he said, how do you expect them to listen to you? if you address them in this kind of language. But let me go back to the sort of very forthright Mm. Neil Froneman. And it's interesting you mentioned patriotic business because Neil Froneman has been absolutely in the spotlight these past few weeks because Mm -hmm. of his 300 million pay package, most of which is share options that matured in a huge commodities boom. But yes. Now, what's interesting about him is is that under his watch, Sibanya Stillwater has saved 60,000 jobs in the mining industry. He bought mines that others were going to close Mm -hmm. and he lengthened their lives and he sustained the jobs. Like many of the big mining companies, they've done a lot of work uh, rolling out vaccines to not only their workers. The vaccine rate in the mining industry is well over 70%. In some mines, it's over 90%. And not only to their own employees, but to the communities in which they operate. And in effect, what a lot of mining companies are are doing, as as Froneman has pointed out, is that they actually have had to take over the services Mm. delivery in a lot of municipalities. So he may be strident, but one should also look at what Sibani is doing in practice, which Mm. is quite important. But I think they're not alone among the mining companies in the extent to which they have stepped in and would in fact like to step in more Mm. to address government's pretty obvious failings. And that's Mm. not only at the level of the communities in which they operate, but the level of, you know, the crumbling infrastructure affects them so directly. Electricity. Sure. The fact that Transnet is pretty crumbling too and cannot get coal to the port to export Mm. it at a time when the coal price is going crazy globally. Mm. Um, I think the private sector in general and the mining industry certainly specifically would love to do more and just invest, run the Mm. railways themselves as they do actually in some other countries. And I think that's not only patriotism, it's a question of ensuring their own returns. Mm. But I think that um, business has been very important, especially in the past couple of years, Mm. in um, supporting a lot of quite important initiatives during the lockdown to get communities through this, Mm -hmm. to roll out vaccines, to work with government against often a lot of resistance to try and mitigate the worst of the sort of economic disaster that was Mm. COVID. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, one is aware of of big business getting involved in getting vaccines to people and participating in in the process. But I think part of the, shall I say, the attraction for the increased stridency is that ordinary people, very, very frustrated, economic situation incredibly bad. I suppose they don't, they feel they don't have a voice. And to some extent, they look to the business sector, which does deal with government, to express how 
we, they are feeling. I think that's actually a very good point that business has become a voice, an important voice. And because it, um, President Cyril Ramaphosa's government has been open to business in the way certainly that the administration of Jacob Zuma was not. Mm. And um, whether or not they achieve anything, his door has been open to business and he has been available to meet and to listen, as have some of his ministers. I mean, Gwede Mantash may uh, be insulting if they say things in ways he doesn't like, but he's certainly regarded by the industry as the friendliest and most open minister they've dealt with. That's so amazing. I think that is true, that that, that it's, a, it's a nice point that people are actually do look to business to speak up because they know that business is heard in a way that maybe a broader bunch of voices isn't, or business is, whether it's heard is another question, mm-hmm. whether it is, it's speaking up is acted on is another question. And I think people in business are as frustrated as anyone else at the excruciatingly slow pace at mm. which government acts to change anything. That's a, almost an irresolvable tension unless something magical happens because business operates generally, if it's successful, slickly and with in a certain sequence to get things done and to make things happen. And the government doesn't. And what's your sense? Is it, is it, is it um, ideology? Is it competence? Is it fear? A combination of those? We keep getting the message that the red tape, you know, is, is, is going to be cut down. But this has been said repeatedly for a number of years. It's almost obvious what needs be done just to let business go and 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 do what would be beneficial for the state but what is holding them back do you know i mean do you have yeah. any views on that and i think as people like mark kutifani and, and a lot of people the business the people on that side of the debate would say the way to take these things up with government is to say this is this has gone very wrong how can we help you to fix mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. And in, in many cases, business has either provided a lot of resources to help or has certainly offered to provide resources mm-hmm. to help. Um, and as you say, it's often not taken up by government. So so there are two kinds of issues. The one is the pace of reforms. And, you know, we've heard ad nauseum what needs to be done um, to fix all the network industries, electricity, transport, telecommunications, etc., red tape, that is a precondition for the economy to grow faster. We've had uh, the private sector rather desperate to invest, actually, in a lot of those industries, and government, at least on the surface, saying they want more private sector participation, they want partnerships, etc. But the pace at which it moves is, is excruciating. I think you ask, why is that? I think... It is because some of these reforms are very contested within government, mm-hmm. um, ideologically, and also it's empires. Mm, it means course. people relinquishing their empires. I think also there's sometimes a, an understandable lack of trust. Look at, you know, the state capture years. I mean, the mm. private sector, we can talk about big business, but the private sector, there's some good guys and some bad guys, that's for mm. sure. And mm. and and if government is, you know, government, people in government do rather fear being ripped off as they have been before. So I think the, there's a lot of contestation within government and within the ruling party over some of these reforms, even if, if on the surface, you know, there is consensus. Mm. I think there are a lot of empires to be protected and a lot of vested interests within Mm -hmm. departments who like to control things. Um, 
or uh, you know people or, 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 or government officials who just have no experience of the market working mm-hmm. really instead of a state controlled thing working mm-hmm. so i think there are a lot of factors behind it and it's very hard to shift them along and mm-hmm. i suppose that's the other part of it is that even though there's an expressed willingness to encourage private sector participation and private sector investment when it comes down to it you know government doesn't make it very easy i think that may be correct it's a multiplicity of factors i think what's probably been been one of the most telling things has been the way in which Sir Ramaphosa came into the presidency um great hopes and particularly from the business sector that he was the man who make things happen and the the sad thing is that he has not made I'm not, it may very little happen or in the sense of whether it's his ministers, not so much himself necessarily, but it is that sense that there's a stagnation. And obviously, from the ordinary person's point of view, you do, one doesn't see the machinations that go on behind that have resulted in this sense of stasis and an enormous disillusion. That is true. And, and, and this is in an economy which is growing at, uh, has averaged, even excluding COVID, uh, had averaged 1% growth for several mm. years, is now heading back towards 1.5-ish percent growth, which is not enough to meet mm. population growth. So right. our standard of living as a country is going backwards, if you like, um, at quite a rapid rate. And that's before we start on our record level of unemployment, inequality, and so on. Yes, the, we are all very frustrated, and people in business are very frustrated. But I have to say, for, for some of the sort of leadership in organized business, they keep plugging away and I mean what you might remember that during COVID there were all these economic recovery and growth plans yes. and business put an extraordinary amount of effort into it there was a big NEDLAC discussion the president then went off and did rather his own thing with his own plan which was not quite the same as had been agreed on what is worth noting I suppose is that progress is being made just not at the pace that we need it. Mm. And in the past few months, there have been some of the reforms that business has long been pushing for. One of them is the auction of broadband spectrum, mm. which is like at least a 10-year-old reform sure. we've been waiting yeah. for. And it has actually been auctioned and it should, in the next couple of years, start to help with broadband Wi-Fi speeds and costs. And that's really important for economic growth and investment. The other is electricity, letting the private sector not just generate electricity when Guido Mantashe chooses them, but letting basically anyone who has a viable project to generate their own electricity, whether up to 100 megawatts, which is really quite a lot, doesn't need to go through the cumbersome process of getting a license Mm. in order to do so. Now, the problem with that, and that was a huge reform, and especially because business wasn't even asking for as much as 100 megawatts, they would have been happy for much less, with Mm. much less. It's a huge reform for a number of reasons. One is that this is green energy we're talking about, Mm -hmm. and it's important for the country, and it's important for a lot of companies which are themselves under huge pressure to go green, pressure from their shareholders and from activists. But it also contributes to the country's move towards decarbonizing its energy supply. But it's obviously also really crucial to try and plug the gap electricity supply, which Eskom's downfall, and Eskom supports this. Of course, where you get the kind of turf battles, the contestation within government is that even without the licensing requirement, the process has been made 
as cumbersome as possible. Right. So each of these reforms requires a huge amount of effort and lobbying and toing and froing, um, and it's just far too slow. But at least reforms are happening. The president is putting some of them through. I, for one, don't understand why he can't call his ministers to order and push more of them through mm-hmm. and at a faster pace. But yeah, let's take what we can get. President Ramaphosa is a very consultative person. Uh, I mean, his, his problem-solving sort of mediatory. I don't think, by and large, it's in his nature to uh, to bang the table, shall I say. But can I ask you, tangentially, ask you about NEDLAC, which is the National Economic Development and Labour Council. And it's basically where government, labour, business and community organisations try to talk, negotiate and resolve economic labour and development issues. Um, I'm curious to know, because you've got the government completely represented by 18 people and trade the trade union movement represented by 11 of 18 people, and then of course the community organisations, and I'll, I'll come back to that, that it's weighted against business, which is likely to have a different perspective to government and labour. Does it work or put into pasture? You actually should invite the executive director of NEDLAC, Lisa Seftel, onto your program and see mm-hmm. if she will come and speak for the NEDLAC herself. Because she's done, I think, a brilliant job in turning mm-hmm. NEDLAC around. It had really lost relevance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was not before she was appointed in, I think, 2019. It uh, Nobody was taking it seriously. Nobody was sending senior leadership along. She really turned it around and particularly during the COVID pandemic, when it became a really, really important forum mm-hmm. to for the parties to share just what was happening and what was going wrong and for people to come to NEDLAC and get the air of government on, you know, for example, Minister Patel's demented. Would <laughs> uh, you remember the, the kind of closed shoes and open shoes and cropped pants? Yeah, um, <laughs> Legendary. Legendary, yes. And it it was a really important forum in which business could step up, could talk to Labour, could work with with Labour and government to try and get us through the lockdown. Uh, Occupational health regulations to get workers back to workplaces Mm. uh, were agreed at NEDLAC. The vaccine came later and that also some of that went through NEDLAC. But the other really important thing was the unemployment insurance, the temporary, Mm. the TERS, the TERS Mm. it was called, not the grant. The TERS, which is oh, right. the, uh, which was the payout, the unemployment payout, payout from, to, yeah. to workers who were on short term or had been laid off as a result of COVID, and right. that the now late Rob Lee um, led through NEDLAC, and equally NEDLAC did sort of have its say on the social grants, the COVID social grants, which are still with us. Mm-hmm. So it played a really important role in that crisis environment. It was a really important crisis forum. And you should perhaps get Lisa to to talk to you about, you know, where it's is important and where is it isn't. Mm-hmm. I think people do load Nedlac up with a bunch of stuff where they claim to want consensus between all the parties, where actually you don't want consensus between mm-hmm. all the parties. You want business and government to hammer out something or yeah. business and labor to hammer out something. Exactly. Um, and I think, you know, I think some in business are, are really feeling that you don't want to go through the whole process to just get something straight out of business. Labor may feel the same. So I think as a forum, it has some very important uses um, at this stage. I suppose the crisis is past, so it will have to, you know, redefine what it's good at. Um, just interested. Just, I'm curious. I'm not. Couldn't actually pin it down as the, ex- the extent to which small business is represented 
in a forum like Ned, like Nedlac? Because their needs are very different, obviously, from, from big business or corporates. No, that is an important point. The business chamber, I think it is called, um, which is led by Business Booster, Business Unity South Africa, mm-hmm. is a pretty broad church. Business Unity South Africa is a real umbrella body mm-hmm. of a whole bunch of federations, which includes, you know, the sort of local chambers and small business federations. It is rather a broad church. And so... Of course, you might get some voices louder than others. I think small business actually was better heard at NEDLAC during the COVID crisis than mm. than before or perhaps since, because it did provide this very, very, I mean, they make very, very regularly. And there were, you know, various subcommittees and main committees. And they met at quite senior level. And, and I think they were, you know, say the tourism industry mm. could bring what was its experience of what was happening and the disaster as it unfolded could bring it to Nedlec and be heard. So I think it was a forum. But yeah, as you say, one of the problems in a lot of these business organizations is how do you ensure that smaller businesses get, and of course, how do you ensure the government listens to them because it's a much more diffuse, it's much more diffuse than big business. Very individualistic. It operates despite everything and anything. Thank you very much for being with me today. Um, a different take, different issue to perhaps some of the issues we usually cover. And I'd like to get you back on board, perhaps as the inspiration from another column that you may write. Thank you very much.